Blog Talk Radio. The Net Live is brought to you by the Spire Institute, integrating sports and education, training and learning, performance and competition like no place on earth. SpireInstitute.org. Now, on with the show. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. Peter. There's no better angle for sure uh, than the one from behind. Reeves. All this travel and plane and priorities been really getting in the way of our relationship. And DJ Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's the Net Live right now. Bravo, DJ Roche. Thank you. Thank Bravo. You so much. Very, very nice new open. You know, I notice you still have great thighs. I do have great thighs. Thank Other you. people have different things to say. You <laughs> still have great thighs. Welcome everybody to the Net Live. I'm your host Kevin Barnett. Back again, back from London, and we are pleased to put together a fantastic crew today. We're hoping for a call or from a call for a call from McGee, I guess I should say, but you never know. So maybe McGee will call in, maybe not. He has big news for those that haven't heard it. We'll let him break it to you. We have DJ Jeremy Roche surrounded by computers and audio equipment, making it all work. And we much appreciated his efforts in the interim while everyone was out of town to take care of the show. Thank you, Jeremy. You guys are lucky you're invited back. I listened. It was very nice. It was good. Uh, I like Geeter going off on some rants. And then we have sitting next to me a three-time Olympian and gold medalist, alleged investor in this program. <laughs> Welcome back, Reed Pretty. Thanks, man. Still waiting on those dividends. Yeah? I, uh, I Me too. <laughs> so, How much sweat equity has Jeremy put in at this point, by the way? Uh, enough that, that he's in the open. He has control. He ought to be in some pictures, but he still isn't. Which I notice he is in the, uh, I don't know, with the, the master chair. Yeah. He's sort of off to the side now. Yep. He, he's taken over. It's, my, it's really my show. I have moved over to where I belong. Talent, not sound engineer. Uh, I, and I'm sitting in the right spot. We've got a great show planned for you today. Again, thanks to Spire for their support of this program. We have the London Wrap. We're going to talk beach. We're going to talk indoor. We're going to talk men and women. Lots of information to cover there, lots of funny stuff and good stories about London. I'm sure that will take way too long and be a large part of the program. Secondly, we want to talk about next national team coaches, and this is a topic that's going to come up certainly over the next few months and hopefully only for the next couple of months, not all the way into next year, but we will talk about men and women, some possibilities there. Next we have a discussion titled NBC Sucks because that seems to be what a lot of people have to say about it or post about it around the volleyball world. So we'll talk about why NBC sucks or at least sucks in your mind and you'll get the 411 as to why things are the way they are when it comes to television coverage. So I will endeavor to enlighten you and if we can't change your opinion, then maybe you suck. But we'll see. So let's start with uh, London Rap. Let's start with, do we have Geeter at all? Will you watch the, the uh, thing? Yeah, I haven't seen him yet. Okay. Maybe somebody can text him and tell him that he ought to call in before his conference call later today. 
uh, you know, Mr. Big Time, sitting around in his pajamas, Millie. His Ugg slippers. Jumping on him, yeah, and his Ugg slippers, Millie jumping on him while he tries to talk to the brass at his new job. But let's start with the men indoors, since we have Reed. Well, we're just going to go straight into it. I mean, oh, you want to go somewhere like, else? Yeah, let's just, I mean, how are you guys? I'm great. Busy. I mean, just got back from Vegas. Where'd you stay? Uh, I stayed at the Westin. It was kind of last minute, but I was uh, DJing at the Monte Carlo pool. It's good times. Ooh. It was it was actually cool. It was only 100 degrees. It wasn't 105 like last time. Nice, yeah. Like Riverside was for the last two weeks. Yes. It's been brutal. Now, where's the go-to place now? In, in Still you, rehab, isn't it? From what I saw, it's on Sundays, bigger yes, than that. But everything yeah. else, you're either at the Cosmopolitan or you're at the Wynn. Those Cosmo. clubs are just battling it out big time. I really like the Cosmo when we stayed there. Yeah. I mean, the jellyfish going through the columns, yep. that to me said this they place They did rocks. a really good job with that hotel. We had dinner there Saturday night and just happened to walk by Marquee at 1030. There were easily 300 to 400 people waiting in line to get in that club at 1030. Wow. Probably the same people that were there all day by the pool. Yeah. Because they have a whole pool club oh, too, yeah. right? Yep, absolutely. Reed, I don't know if you listened to the show or we had a chance to talk about when I was in May, I was at the Hard Rock. And I was I had to walk through the hallway past the pool entry area to get to my room. I've never seen anything like it. For six hours, the hallway is just packed and people waiting two hours to get into the pool and paying a hundred bucks. And I think I was texting Jeremy at the time, going, "Is are you serious with this?" My favorite was Kevin's photos because he was sticking his arm up in there taking photos. So it was like from a third story view because he was so much taller than everybody else. <laughs> Well, yeah, just chicks in bikinis and guys all tatted up, no shirts, hanging out in the hallway. A couple hours, wait. The situation? Yeah, he was That's probably there. Described, well, basically. Paul E.D. has some sort of a relationship with the Hard Rock, right? He I, comes think in and DJs. I think he's spinning there now, yeah. Yeah, he's spinning there. You're not. Does that mean Paul E.D. is ahead of you in the DJ He realm? is making a lot more money than I am, I'll yeah, tell you that, that right now. That is a shame. Yep. His hair is not nearly as good. New. Speaking of good parties, the U.K. is a special place. Yeah. I mean, the, the cask beer... The pub deal, you know, like the the mingle in the alley. I mean, you and I shared a beer uh, at a pub, and uh, yeah. the whole vibe was awesome. It was in the borough district or the borough street, high borough street, um, where there's an open air market. Yeah, the market there was during the day was really cool. Uh, you know, it was almost as if when I first saw that place, like in full swing, with the the fruit vendors and the meat and the, and the pub happening, like and everything spilling into the streets. I was like, you know. This is the model that we see all these other areas like it try to emulate, you know, whether it be Third Street Promenade or, yeah. you know, it even yeah. seemed like uh, um, things you see in the movies. I mean, it was a cool and it was there was an electric vibe in London. They were ready for it. Uh, I didn't go to Sydney, but I heard lots of comments like the Olympic Games was was sort of, um, I don't know, accepted and, and, and celebrated like it was in Sydney and. Um, you know, whereas in Athens, you know, the people there sort of took off and didn't want any part of it. All the locals left. All the locals uh, in Beijing. um, It was maybe the language barrier. There there was still excitement, but it was a, it was an exciting, there was a lot going on. I thought it was fantastic. You're talking about the Jubilee Market, which is where the USA house, the P&G house was located for the friends and family and players of Team USA. Had a chance to get up there a couple of times uh, once with you, and, and it was the Jubilee Marketplace was something else. Was that walking distance for you guys where you were staying? No, I had to hop in the subway. He had to hop in the subway. It was kind of central London. Gotcha. And the, the village and everything was out in East London. I was out in West London. 
We can talk about your your commute later to get to matches. Mine was significantly better. I walked five minutes to work. Nice. And then across the street was the tube station, so you hop in, and to get down there took about 25 minutes. But the Jubilee Marketplace, I took a couple of pictures of this gigantic vat of paella. And I'm talking, I mean, as big as that table you're at, Jeremy. Nice. Of paella and then sauce, and it, it was unreal. Was uh, it community? Like everybody was double dipping in it, or...? No, it's serving out of a restaurant, oh, okay. but Cheers. they're cooking it up. And I came back later in the night. I came back like 10 hours later, still going. <laughs> you know, the flavors were really cooked up by that point. That would have been awesome. But the whole place was full of, yeah, fruit vendors and food vendors. And I just wanted to go down there and eat for like two hours. How much did I went to the P&G house for free? How much spare time did you have? I know you... Here and there. Yeah. Our Our location and our lack of a commute afforded me a lot more spare time than I would have had and certainly than I had in Beijing. In Beijing, we spent time traveling back and forth in the car all the time, 35 minutes, because hmm. we had a venue where the food was absolutely inedible in Beijing. It was You've heard of Fifty Shades of Grey? This was Five Shades of Grey. <laughs> and it was terrible. I mean, even the, the Chinese volunteers were not eating it. It was some of the worst food I've ever seen. Here in London or in London, we had fantastic food at our venue. The catering was unreal, and it was still country catering rather than like NBC catering. Yeah. But it was fantastic food. Unbelievable. So we just ate and ate and ate. And anytime we had a break, boom, we were out, you know, going to work out, jumping on the, the bike rental system, which is fantastic there in London. Never been involved in a bike rental system where you put in your card, you go unlock a bike. And, and you yours. go, you drive away, and you go drop it at another station. A couple times, did run into a situation where there were no bikes in all of West London. <laughs> Walked by five stations, no bikes. Walked by the station right next to our hotel, there were twenty-five bikes. Like, great, I just walked two miles. <laughs> but it was it was fantastic. So I got out to a bunch of events: Wimbledon, cool. beach volleyball, a couple times, water polo in the Olympic Stadium. Went down the floor of the Olympic Stadium. Uh, first day of track, we were there. First day of track, last day of swimming. Saw a little water polo, walked over to the, the track when it was done, took pictures with the flame and so on, and went down on the track. Now, in theory, I'm not really allowed on the track, but whatever. So I'm cruising around down the track, taking pictures, goofing around. I walk over, and half my group is over at the finish line, and they're starting to like line up and go across <laughs> timing and scoring there. So as I'm walking over, I go, you know we're getting kicked out for this, right? I mean, this is you know this is where it ends. Yeah. And I said, Yeah. So we start taking pictures, and not 35 seconds later, some guy walks over. Uh, ideally, you wouldn't be taking pictures around the timing and scoring area. And I'm like, somebody in our group pipes up like, ideally, you wouldn't be ruining our fun. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Got, I got out to see quite a bit of stuff and quite a few famous people who I immediately accosted by introducing myself. Of course. Yeah. At the top of the list, of course, would be Dan Patrick. Yep, got Dan Patrick a few times. A few times. That was early in your trip. I felt like you shared that email with a photo of him pretty quickly. Well, I had to get him when we ran into him because we went for a whole day seminar. Once we were on the ground, we had a whole day seminar in like our second day or something. And Dan Patrick involved in that. Then we had a dinner. I was stalking Dan Patrick through dinner. I'm literally sitting across the pub. Beautiful day in London, 80 degrees out still, sun setting, beautiful night. And sitting out at one of these big grand pubs right on the Thames fantastic atmosphere and i look over okay here's dan patrick michelle tafoya al michaels very tight 
And I'm looking over there, and I go, man, i got to figure out a way to get into this. There's, mm-hmm. there's got to be a way in, because I have to get a picture with Dan for Reed, just to get Reed's goat a little bit here. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. I actually go over and try and sit down. There is nowhere to sit. I'm literally going to be in eye formation with Al. <laughs> and I have to come back. It was one of the most awkward things I, I did the entire Olympic Games. I'm milling around a table full of people, tried to sit down, had to get up and walk away. <laughs> Terrible. So, so we're about to leave. My guys on my team are giving me grief uh, because the volleyball guys, you know, it takes about 20 people to run it. So we have producer, director, Sunderland, and, uh, and a couple other guys were all over the table and we're about to leave. And they're like, why haven't you talked to Dan Patrick yet? Get in there. Like, Freaking Tafoya is killing me. I can't get in. She's taking up the one spot in the conversation. I'm going to go over there and like have to elbow Tafoya out. So finally, Dan goes to the bathroom. And they're like, go get him. I'm like, I'm not going to the bathroom with Dan Patrick. <laughs> so he comes out of the bathroom, and I immediately introduce myself. Hey, Dan, Kevin Barnett, Indoor Volleyball. I want to talk to you about a friend of mine, Reed Pretty. Called your show a couple of years ago. You told him you weren't coming to his match. Big disappointment. I want to know, are you going to make it to a match this time? And I said something about girls in bikinis from the, the clip that we had from years ago. And, and he said, well, will there be girls in bikinis this time? I said, no, I'm not going to be there. <laughs> Consistent. Yeah. So I said, well, yeah, at least give me a picture so I can send it to Reed and, and really get his goat that, hey, I saw Dan. And I mentioned the show and said, you know, hey, every time we talk about the show and how we should we should have the show go or how we should form the program, he's always talking about Dan Patrick this, Dan Patrick that. <laughs> so, yeah, so Dan was all fired up, took a picture. And then I got to do a two-way with Dan, which was even better. They that, sprung that one that on me. That sounds so awkward, in case you're wondering. I know. That's what I thought when, I, when they said it to me. I had to ask, you know, what is a two-way? Yeah. What am I doing? Because I walk in and they go, okay, you have a two-way with Dan Patrick today. Really? Yeah, awkward. <laughs> yeah. I've got pants on. Is that bad? So I think I sent an email with that picture that said, uh, suck it, gold medalist, or something. <laughs> That was good. But yeah, the, the the two ways were fun. So I get on a, a two way is where Dan Patrick's in studio says, Hey, let's go out to Earl's court. Let's talk to Kevin Barnett about to call the match USA men or USA women versus whoever. And I'm on camera. Dan asked me a question. I say, yeah, Dan, this is, you know, it's just a back and forth. Yeah. And sometimes they slide to that shot where you're side by side and then they go on to you or on to him and so on and so forth. And Dan comes on because we're talking before you can communicate. There's a bunch of back channels. So you can communicate before, and they're kind of giving me the rundown on what they're going to ask and the idea. And this was after you met him? Yeah, this was after I met him. I don't know that he remembered, but maybe. So this is after I met him. He comes on. I've never done a two-way before, and they must have told him that. And uh, he says, are you nervous? And I was a little nervous, but not not terribly nervous. Not yeah, not until he's like, hey, are you nervous? Yeah, well, I wasn't. Sure. Had, I, had I really been on my game, I would have been, what do you mean, am I nervous? Are you nervous? <laughs> like, let me see your ID. <laughs> But instead, I went on like, no, man, I got this. Like, I've done more important stuff than this. And while it's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, great. That's the wrong thing to say. <laughs> and then, then reflecting back, because I, I went on a couple more sentences, reflecting back, I'm like, I should have just said yes. Because the way I responded totally said, Showed you I'm nervous. nervous. <laughs> so, but we did it. It went great. And then I did, uh, I did three more, I think all with Al Michaels. I saw we, those. And we were set up for two more. But what happens is I'm down there, you know, Microphone in hand, ear in, questions ready to go, and whatever they're doing before runs over, and they go, okay, it's scrapped. So I throw off my stuff, and I have to jet upstairs, because literally I'm sitting down as the first surf starts as we come to air. Oh, wow. So that got scrapped a couple more times. But it was very cool to be able to have that on-air time, which we didn't have in Beijing, and preview stuff. I think what happened is somebody at NBC said, ah, 
let's give it a shot with this guy. We'll we'll give him a shot and see how it goes. And it went okay, so we came back to it a few times. So it was cool. Um, overall, dude, you guys were on a lot. The coverage was ridiculous. I, we called so many matches, and if you were a daytime viewer on NBC Sports Network, formerly Versus, or MSNBC, you saw a lot of volleyball, men's and women's. Not only U.S. matches, but also other matches, and it was a, an opportunity to follow a tournament that you'll never see otherwise over here. Uh, certainly not on television. On the web, you might have that opportunity, but it was it was really good for volleyball. 40 matches in 16 days. It was cool because the, uh, in the U.K., they have Sky Sports as sort of their big um, satellite TV provider. And uh, they had a system in place to where you could sort of, just like in the Olympic Village, that's one of the best parts about staying in the Olympic Village is you've got this TV with a closed-loop feed, live feed from every event. So oh, you've cool. got like, you know, 80 channels and you can watch, uh, you know, that's what everyone does. But when we're in our downtime, we're all sitting together watching um, various uh, other sports. And so uh, the Sky Sports had a whole system to where you could push di- different buttons and basically search out which sport you wanted to watch. So they could do this, you know, normal, regular TV viewers could do the same thing, which I thought was awesome. Cool. Although they did have the uh, the BBC, the BBC volleyball announcers. Yeah. Um, it's a new game. It's a new game. <laughs> they were a little suspect at it. And, uh, They're funny because they have all those, those kind of funny colloquialisms that, yeah. uh, that Brits use. Yeah, there, there's times where, um, you know, there's there's what happens on the court is one deal. And yeah. then what's going on in the crowd, like, takes on a life of its own. So, like, after a match, it's very little about, um, hey, you guys did great. That was so exciting. Whatever. You guys did bad. That's a bummer. But... Let me tell you what happened in the stands. You know what I mean? It's like this whole this whole other deal. But apparently, uh, what they kept on complaining about was that the BBC announcer's feed was going to the arena. So, like, the TV announcer's feed was going to the arena. And it, was, it wasn't like a rob on the mic, a sparrow, you know, calling out number 16 to serve. I mean, this guy's, like, giving commentary. commentary. Wow. Well, you're talking about two different guys now. Okay. There was BBC commentary. There was a, there was an in-venue guy doing exactly what you're talking about. Okay. And so, you know, like I'm zoned in. I'm not hearing anything. They're like, yeah. hey, did you hear us? We were yelling your name or whatever. No, I didn't. You know, sorry. I didn't hear this guy. I didn't hear that. But sorry, they told I was me enough. Out. I go back to serve and I start hearing this guy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and the stuff that he would say would just be ridiculous. You know, like the pressure's really mounting. You could see it. He, you can feel it. And we'll see what happens on this. You know, just right. stuff like that. and. Uh, it's just funny that they let that stuff go and somebody's not sort of listening and just viewing the whole scene and just saying, you know what, that needs to go. Yeah, you can't do that. That was upsetting, Sunderland. Oh, the, I, I can the guy imagine. was blowing names. Faluki. Uh. <laughs> Faluki Akinradawiwo was one of my favorites. But then they butchered all the Italian names. Like, no, no thought about how the language works. That's so, one of the things we spend a fair amount of time with is how the pronunciations work. And if you know Italian, you know there are certain rules. The double Z is the reason it's called pizza and not pizza. Yeah. Because if you have two Zs, it's a T and an S and stuff like that. So, Or if you have a CH, it's a K. If you have a C by itself, it's a CH. Those kinds of things. And there's regularity to Polish, to Italian, to German, to Chinese. There's a bunch of stuff like that. And, man, he was blowing it. 
he was just blowing it constantly. They just did no research, is what you're saying. No, they did. And what was funny is they had this girl, and I, I don't know if I became enamored with her or just was so <laughs> curious because I couldn't understand anything she was saying. It was kind of like the teacher in Charlie Brown, and but just this particular tone that I always knew she was in the arena. Because <laughs> I couldn't understand anything with the reverb in the arena. Oh, yeah. That was just unbelievable. Now, I want to ask you, how was the village and the accommodations, the food, the vibe? How was that whole deal? Everything was good. Uh, they did a really good job. Um, the village was compact. It was new. Uh, high rises, huh? It was it pretty was high tall. rises. Uh, the USA building was very close to the cafeteria, which is important. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember in Athens, it was like we had a 5K walk just to uh, get yeah. to uh, the food. Um, the laundry service was dialed in, you know, which is something that can be uh, sort of dicey at these events. I mean, it, it was it was really well done. Um, of course, the USOC brought over their whole training center deal, uh, which which worked out great. And uh, it was situated right next to this enormous mall, uh, the Stratford Mall, and uh, or Westfield. I'm sorry, it was Westfield Mall at the Stratford Station, mm -hmm. right at the base uh, of the Olympic Park. Um, so they had, you know, every restaurant that I went to was great. Um, you know, they didn't know volleyball, but they were excited about it. Um, and, and so if, if they want to open a pro league, I'm, I'll play there in a second. I mean, that was, uh, you know, they, they just did a great job and, and they seemed to be excited to be hosting it. And, and there was a real sense of pride. Uh, especially when they started winning medals, yeah. um, especially in the track of track and field events, uh, that was just off the hook, and they were yeah. so pumped all the way up to my trip in Scotland. They were still talking about nice. the, you know, the stuff that they were doing in the uh, the Olympic Stadium. The vibe for the whole country, for the whole event, for the whole city, no matter where you went, and it's not something you can necessarily say it's this one particular thing. I mean, obviously there are examples here and there, but it was really cool. The people were great. They were excited to be there. You saw the colors everywhere. And, of course, it helps that it's London and there are iconic sites everywhere. Yeah. You're coming across London Bridge, the Tower of London, Big Ben, Horse Guards Parade for Beach, uh, the Eye of London. I mean, there's, there's so many cool things about that city that it just made for a wonderful atmosphere. And the people were great. Yeah. The people were fantastic. They're, they're a little bit quirky, a little bit funny. Uh, it did remind me a lot of Sydney, that kind of friendliness. And my my remembrance of Sydney is a little bit colored by our lack of performance. But I do remember the people being great and the vibe of there being very cool as well. But it was much more spread out. Sydney was. I, I felt like it was because we were staying in the village out near the arena, but our place was 45 minutes away. And I didn't feel like it really connected well. Whereas this one, even though it was an hour away, it was really only 11 miles uh, from the village to our venue. But I felt like the city itself, all that Olympic vibe had permeated the whole city, not just the little pockets where you had stuff. Was traffic an issue at all? Oh, God. Really? Well, actually, people from London said that the traffic was much better during the games than it normally is because a lot of people left. But when we first got there, we went to go the 11 miles from West London to East London to the IBC, that's the International Broadcast Center, which is located right at the Olympic Green, which is where the stadium and water polo and everything was. It took an hour and a half. 
to go 11 miles mm. in a car. It's like being in L.A. It, it, yeah, it was. I thought worse than L.A. because it's all surface streets. There's no highways. And so it took an hour and a half to get back. Then they opened the Olympic lanes, and that got cut down to an hour. But still, an hour? Now, Olympic lanes means like you had the – you had like – Police escort or the VIP straight shot. Yeah, you get in a you get in a car that has a pass that can use a lane that's just for Olympics gotcha. only. I uh, did manage to not get killed with the whole wrong side of the road thing. Good. A friend of mine almost did. Well, our director, he's we were riding bikes the first day we rode bikes, which is a dangerous thing to do, and before you're really used to it, he starts veering off this one street. Not only is he on the wrong side of the road, he's going into a one-way street. Oh. He's like, no, go this way. He turns around, there's a truck coming right at him. I'm like, Jeremy, we almost were laying flowers and a cross over here and uh, talking about your death, J.O. Mm. Jeremy Olson, our director. Yeah. That almost happened to us when we were on like a country tour near one of the locks in uh, Scotland. Uh, so there's no other cars on the road, and we're just kind of cruising around. Next thing you know, some, uh, I think it was a car from uh, Holland is just cruising up in our lane. Oh boy! And you know we veer, they veer, and the wife in the in the passenger seat is just like laughing. Of course, our, we had a driver, and he was just flipping out. Yeah, he was like, not pleased. And if I mean, gosh, if that happened on a sharp turn, uh, I mean, you couldn't get out of the way. It's dangerous, man. Mm. Let's take it back. Actually, let's take a break. Okay. And then I want to come back, and I want to talk about the vibe in the venue at volleyball because there was some stuff going on that went on nowhere else in the Olympics. Only at the volleyball venues of course. did this sort of thing happen. So we're going to tell you all about it. It's Minute Live on a Monday. London Rap Show. Kevin, Jeremy, and Reed sitting in. Hoping for a call from Geeter, but who cares? It's Minute Live. Right back.
Oh, where am I going? I'm falling down the wormhole. I, I, like that, be here I like that you're bringing your own music. That's right. We need better lighting for this, though. You where, where can people get yeah. You can go to uh, BawaEntertainment.com and you'll get it. Welcome back to the Net Live, Kevin, Jeremy, and Reed sitting in. Remember, if you want to get our Net Live t-shirts, get them while they're hot. Still good shirts. I gave a couple away this week to friends, and uh, they were happy about the quality of the shirt. ValaClothing.com, V-A-L-A, clothing.com. Get there and support our program. Did see a couple around. It's nice to see those. Hey, Reed, I, before we get to the vibe at the volleyball venues, I wanted to get a couple of more comments. You said there was some interesting stuff going on at the Village with some star athletes. Well, yeah, you know what's interesting about the Olympic Games? It's, it's one of those times where typically um, there's this all-for-one mentality, you know, and so you get sports like volleyball and, and crew and swimming and, you know, these top elite athletes. Right, you're all the elites at what you do. Exactly, and so there's not this sort of uh, hierarchy of uh, what – you know what a certain culture uh, values a different sport and has made you know these people are celebrities right and so uh in the in the village i think there was a really cool phenomenon with people with star athletes who actually stayed in the village it was almost like a respect for hey you you're acting like one of us and they weren't at all surrounded or hampered or there wasn't a frenzy Towards him, you know, guys like Ginobili, uh, the Brazilian basketball players. I saw Ginobili all over the place, and he was yeah. just cruising. He was like almost totally insulated. Everyone respected. I mean, there was a few photos here and there. He was incredibly gracious. The Gasol brothers, uh, Serena came, um, and uh, uh, all sorts of athletes. Uh, there was um, the tennis. Is it Andrew Murray? Yep, Andy Murray. Andy Murray. Uh, and he's a huge star there and, and um, you know, was able to move around. We actually saw the the, the person who got the most um, attention was uh, Rich and I were, were eating dinner. You and Rich were the people who got the most attention? No, we oh. definitely were not. Okay. But um, it turns out we're like, who is this guy? Like, because it wasn't just like um, people from England going after him. It was like Cameroon, um, you know, African countries, South Africa. I mean, Oscar. There was, was it Oscar? No. Oh, was he it a swimmer? Was, it was Ryan Giggs. Who's that? No clue. Captain of Manchester United. Uh, Just sitting by himself. Uh, but uh, he was the guy that was getting the most attention. So contrast that to when our NBA guys come into the village, and it's this absolute spe- spectacle. And they have to, like, run away from crowds, and it's like bees swarming after. Because they didn't stay in the village. They don't stay in the village. Yeah. So they come and they want to get their like village experience, but it turns into this absolute spectacle. And um, I was a little bit disappointed. And it makes the guys look bad when I, I'm sure it's not the guys on the team who's doing these things. But in, in previous Olympics, uh, we've shared a practice court with these guys. And, you know, as we're coming in, they're going out and, you know, we get to interact with them. And, yeah. And there was one opportunity where we got to lift with a few of the guys and they were watching us do plyo jumps and stuff and, and, um, Iguodala and, and Mello was trying to size it up to see if like, oh, can I do that? that they wanted to do. Cause they were definitely, we were all doing Olympic lifts. They were just doing like a lot of this functional, uh, foo-foo stuff. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, when they come to the train facility, 
we were like asked, like we couldn't be on the court within 30 minutes of them showing up. Oh God. They like blacked out all the windows. They had separate locker rooms. It went, it went from this like all in one, this is the USA facility to like USA basketball in one corner and the rest of the athletes over here. So they wouldn't even interact. They would be separated from you, other U.S. athletes as well that you're there. You're like, I'm just here to do my thing. Exactly. Interesting. All right, let me ask you this. If they had stayed in the village, do you think that that, that mentality would not have been there because they just would have been around rather than the feeding frenzy because this is your one shot if you're another country's athlete. Like, oh, my God, i got to get a picture with this guy because they don't stay here. And right. They're never here. They're never really a part of it. I mean, that's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if it adds to the spectacle when they're so distant from yeah. everything. And um, so that was a little disappointing. And like I said, it makes the guys look bad. Yeah. When I'm, I'm hoping that it's not them that's, you know, doesn't have that sort of elitist, you know, we're over here, you're over there. And, and all the guys that we interacted with besides LeBron, you know, back in 2004. But, I mean, he was, what, a 19-year-old kid at the time. Iverson wasn't 19. I'm not giving him a pass. <laughs> right. But, uh, but, but yeah, everybody was else cool. was pretty cool. I mean, you talk about Duncan and Stoudemire and... Jefferson and a lot of those guys are real cool. And I remember back in 2000 with Jason Kidd and Rudy Tomjanovich and Kevin Garnett. And I've got a lot of great pictures with those guys from, from that time. And they were all quite happy to be a part of it rather than it being a pain in the butt. Yeah. And I crossed paths several times with Phelps and I just think it's cool when these, these mega, mega athletes uh, are able, I bet, I bet you it's refreshing for them. They're able to just sort of be themselves in this environment a little bit, and everyone sort of respected their space. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I made the point on this show before, I think, about 2004 with the LeBron incident that, you know, at the time, hey, LeBron, I'm better than you. You're like the 12th man on that roster. Okay, dude? Yeah, I'm starting. I'm better than you. <laughs> I don't care. You know, you make more money. That's true. Wish I made the money. I'd take the money over the better than you. But I have the better than you. So at least be respectful of that because it is, to, to Reed's point, it's a meeting of equals. And it is a meeting of people who are coming to represent the United States. And if you can't put that ahead of we're USA basketball yeah. and we're on the Olympic team. No, no, no. It's the other way. It's the U.S. Olympic team and you're on USA basketball. That should be the appropriate perspective. And that's the one thing I miss. I mean, this, these multi-sport events are so cool and so special, especially yeah. when you're uh, training during it. So there's every other day we're in the weight room and, and we're we're trying to get better on a daily basis. And being out here in Anaheim was the right move. It's awesome for the team. It's been great for both teams. It's where we should be. There's no doubt about that. But there is a little part of me that misses that multi-sport training environment. Because yeah. when you're in the weight room and you're seeing, especially for me, it was the combat athletes. Doing the, zercher lifts? The stuff that they would do, <laughs> just pushing themselves beyond what you, what you could imagine yeah. a human body could do, was so inspiring. Even the gymnast and... And it's just really addicting to see uh, and inspiring to see these other athletes just go at it. And fun to get to watch your friends. You mentioned the feed that you have, and USOC puts out a, a bulletin every day that has the list of when, when certain U.S. athletes are performing, and you can tune in and watch it. It's fun to watch people you know, not just people you know of. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I agree with that, that that was a very cool aspect of the training center. And also, if you're looking to hook up with another world-class athlete, I mean, how are you going to do that here? Pretty much the volleyball players. There's no triathletes. Never thought about the wrestlers. But anyways, uh, <clears throat> look like hobbits. So I want to talk about the vibe, since we're talking about the vibe in a lot of places. The vibe at volleyball, I found out, was unique. I didn't know. Indoor and beach. 
Indoor and beach, although I saw indoor more. I heard it was a little bit at the beach, too. But indoor, I have to give out the gold, silver, and bronze for fans. Okay? First place, gold medal, goes to the Polish fans. Second place, although, and they're definitely upset about it. About being second. Yeah, goes okay. to the Brazilians. Okay? And then, uh, who is my, I'm trying to think of who my third place was. I gave third place. Maybe it was uh, Bulgaria that got third place because they traveled quite well. But let's talk about first place, first of all. The Polish fans, you guys are my heroes. Because you show up, you're not even sure you're in the right arena. You're completely bombed, wasted, and you're wearing costumes. And this is the thing that was at only at our venue. Costumes. Interesting. And I'm not talking like... Just country costumes, some face paint. All that was great. People went crazy with the face paint and Polska signs and hats and crowns. And we had the King of Poland in one night, the guy with a crown on. <laughs> and taking their shirts off because they're so wasted, hanging on the stands because they're so done. You know, they've been partying the whole day up into this. But actual, I went to the costume shop and I bought myself a gorilla outfit and I wore it to volleyball. Or I bought myself Scooby-Doo, and it's 100 degrees in the arena, and I'm full Scooby-Doo with the hat with the dog face on it. Buzz Lightyear, giant canaries, complete like Shogun guys from Japan, like full-on like paper uh, samurai costumes. Now, why do you think that is? Like, how come you can't get that at swimming? I don't know. Some Polish fans showed up with a, a homemade, out-of-cardboard helmet like old school knight's helmet that had a little thing that came down over the front plus he had on this backpack with these big huge like spikes off the back made of cardboard we had a beautiful bulgarian fan in these angel wings that were this wide like five feet wide every day we would shoot we would spend half of our time we weren't on air just going through the crowd looking <laughs> at the different people just doing crazy stuff and then there was a little competition with our crew to get pictures with said fans so as soon as our broadcast was over, our director was, boom, out of the truck, into the stands to find the guy, to find that particular guy. He got pictures with some of these guys. We made some, some awesome blooper reels. I'll show it to you guys when I get a hold of it. We made an awesome fan blooper reel. It's just You should get some of those amazing. photos and post it on the website, on the uh, Facebook page. I'll get a hold of that stuff, and we'll put it up. I mean, the, it was inspirational. That's awesome. One Brazilian guy had on a, I don't know what kind of bird it was supposed to be, but it was a head... That was at least two and a half feet across, bulbous on top, like two feet off the top of his head with this weird little parrot thing in the front of it and some eyes and a little hair on the top. I don't even know how he got it through security or how he traveled with it. Got it in his suitcase. It was now, amazing. if you're a regular fan sitting behind that person, are you bitter? Yeah, you're not happy. <laughs> uh, but unless they give you you know, some of their food or drink or whatever, but then you're probably okay. Bird but, food? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was amazing. And, and kudos to the fans. Because Earl's Court, the whole time, I, I can only think of maybe one match where it wasn't jammed and rocking. And certainly, I wish the polls did better just for the fans to be there more often. It was absolutely amazing, and it made it a lot of fun to be in the arena. Now, Reed, do you notice any of that when you're on the court? Uh, the Polish fans, for sure. You, I mean, they're uh, coming in droves and super loud, especially, you know, the whistling when you're serving. I mean, the, the, the noise level goes up incredibly when you're serving. And um, I went to the women's game, which I'm sure we'll talk about, the gold medal game with my wife, and we were sort of in between 
uh, a bunch of Brazilian fans, and they do the same thing. And it was funny. I had this guy who was probably like 60 years old by himself, all decked out in Brazilian getup. And uh, every time our team would go to serve, he would try to do this like – it was almost like a Casper, like <laughs> and it, it, it's so funny because like my wife and my parents, they get so bummed out when people do that. I was just dying laughing. <laughs> it was like he's putting a spell. Yeah. And it was like his version of booing was like <laughs> was, actual booing. It was really funny. And then you, of course, you've got the British fans who like were a little bit confused in the beginning because they thought it was tennis. And they were like, shh, like, it's like, like, oh, don't speak. Oh, yeah. They were telling, they were like shushing kids, you know, like uh, Nipes kids. Uh, there was some incident where he was trying to shush him and, and uh, with the cowbell and, and, oh, no, and every volleyball. Yeah. Man. Everyone around was just like, hey, this is a volleyball game. This is not a tennis game. So, no, it was a fantastic atmosphere and, and kudos to all those guys for, uh, traveling with all that gear i couldn't believe they traveled with all that gear i mean the costumes and stuff that they had in were simply amazing the i mean the polish team had to have been the biggest upset in my mind them yeah being eliminated from the quarterfinal well they, and then blowing it in pool play that's what i'm saying you yeah. know they uh they did themselves an enormous their tournament was lost against australia Let's hold that for one second. We have a caller. He's going to call in. I think he's got all kinds of random stuff to talk about. Our old friend Brandon Rosenthal. Then we're going to get to dissecting the indoor. Brandon Rosenthal. Boys, what's happening? I tried to call in like six times. I know. No, no, no. Just once. Oh, just you know, once. Pay, not pay for or get for. Simple as that. Boys. Jeremy on the line. Yeah, I am. I am. En route back to my school from a uh, quick Sam's Club run. Of course, to get a couple hot dogs, but more importantly, just want to give you a little taste of what head coaches are going through at this point in time in their season. Uh, anxiety levels to the max. Uh, can't figure out if their teams are good or not. Got to figure out travel plans, go through that whole routine, you know, to get back into that routine again. I mean, it's just uh, it's maddening. No sleep. Uh, trying to figure out what the right buttons, what matchups, uh, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, on top of things, it's just, uh, uh, it's exciting. You know, know where do we go next with this, you know, team? And and so it's interesting. I would imagine a lot of head coaches right now uh, just going crazy, minute by minute. How soon did this start for you after the season was over? Does it start getting involved uh, you know, it starts, it's it's one of those things that, you know, we lost in the first round of the tournament and you kind of get, you know, you take a deep breath and you get ready for recruiting season, but literally right around January, the, the planning starts, whether it's buying gear and uniforms and, you know, start, obviously your schedule is, is done, but kind of working on, you know, the schedule, the travel of things. So for literally eight months, you're working up to this point. And then, you know, it's funny. Coaches love to talk about, oh, can't wait to get into preseason. And as soon as we're in preseason, it's like, ah, oh, I can't wait to get out of preseason so we can get into some sort of routine. And and then as soon as we get out of preseason, it's like, man, I wish we had another week of preseason. So it's typical A-type personality coaches and 
uh, it's maddening. It really is. Are there NCAA rules to deal with you people? Because otherwise, it'd just be practice all the time, six hours a day. Bunch of maniacs running. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can we talk about Andy Reid's mustache? Because that was awesome last night. I know you're a big Eagles fan. Tremendous mustache. I might become an Eagles fan just if he wears that mustache, and and especially for all that he's going through. Not only that, getting Jenkins's face. That was awesome. Caught most of the second half, but I, I did. I just saw a highlight of the Jenkins thing. What, what was that all about? I don't know. I guess Jenkins said he didn't like his mustache. <laughs> I mean, how could you not? That thing was like Yosemite Sam right there. Um, hey, let's talk about uh, a, kind of a sad note, uh, and I, I think it's worth mentioning uh, a tragic loss uh, over this past weekend. Uh, 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 St. Louis volleyball player Megan Boken. Uh, goes back to her alumni match in St. Louis and is tragically murdered. Uh, It's just sad news. And I just want to extend my thoughts and prayers to that family and also to the St. Louis volleyball community and and that team and all that they're dealing with. It's just, uh, you know, when you get into coaching, you never think you're going to have to deal with anything. And, and, And fortunately for me, I've never had to deal with something as tragic as that. But, man, along the way, you you just awakened by the reality of what's out there. And so, uh, again, just would like to extend my thoughts and prayers. I know there's a lot of my colleagues that uh, would like to offer that as well to the Boken family. Yeah, pretty sad story. I think she's out of Wheaton, Illinois, actually, not far from where uh, I grew up. Went to Catholic school, of course, attended St. Louis, and was actually talking to her mother a couple of miles from the arena when it happened. And uh, just an awful, awful story. And, yeah, as you mentioned, kind of real life intruding upon what is generally a fun pursuit in the sport of volleyball. Well, listen, boys, I'll let you guys get back to your business, but uh, college volleyball is here. Uh, Mad props to both national teams for not only just national teams, but uh, also the beach teams for performing as well as they did and just really bringing a fever pitch to volleyball in the United States. I must have answered a thousand times that uh, Sean Rosenthal is not my brother. Uh, I, I Once again, I've got to meet this guy just so we can put this thing to rest. should be an honorary member of Rose Raiders just because you're uh, at some point blood relation. Maybe it's uh, six generations back. Absolutely. Again, great job, Barnett. Uh, I know the Volley Talk... Uh, Trolls, as you call them, were all over you, but I thought you did a fantastic job. And, and, and you know, props to Reed and what they did, and then and, and Hugh and, and the women's team as well. Uh, look forward to a great, great year, and look forward to talking to you guys a lot more. Uh, keep up the great work. All right. Brandon Rosenthal, head coach of the Lipscomb City Bears, calling in once again. It's actually the Bisons, but we like to call it the Bears. Your computer was yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the volley talk trolls—they were. Who said control. you did? Everybody that Who I spoke cares? to, I don't care about them either. No one had a bad thing to say about you, and everybody was super stoked. I thought you did I, a fabulous job. Thank you. I, I'm sure I said some stuff that was wrong, and I'm sure somebody picked it out. At one point, I know I messed some stat or figure up or whatever. How can you not when you're doing? 40 matches in 16 days. How can Here's, you get 100% everything correct? I did get a, a nasty note from a player. That was fun. Did you? Yeah. Uh, but You got Mike dotted? 
<laughs> I got a great story, but let's, let's, let's digress to that for a moment because I work with a producer. His name's Jack Graham. Work with him half the time in Beijing. He had to leave. This time he was there the whole time. Great guy. Works at the Golf Channel. So Jack Graham and I walk back and forth to work most every day talking about this, talking about that. He says, yeah. This is back in 04 when I did it. He said, Reed Pretty was really upset with us. And I said, <laughs> I said, really? He said, yeah. He like After one of the matches, he like climbed into the stands and like yelled at Dodd. I said, Jack, uh, that wasn't Reed. That was me. <laughs> He's really? Yep, that was me. He's like, if I would have known that beforehand, he might not have got the job. That's right. That's right. That's no, funny. Uh, I wonder if Mike thinks that was me. No, I'm sure Mike is quite aware that it was not you. I actually ran into Mike and made a point not to talk to Mike. Way to let it go. Yeah. Well, it's just whatever. I don't even know that Mike remembers. Probably not. Oh, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. No, and everybody says that. And Mike, to his credit, back in 1992, when I first came to the beach and started playing at Marine Street, Mike was really nice to me in a place where almost nobody's nice to anybody who's not from there. Because you said, I have next set, and everybody laughed at you. Exactly. Back in 92, I was calling next set. <laughs> That's where it comes from. It's out of Illinois. And so, so you know, credit to Mike. The, the thing about that situation, those that don't remember the entire story, is that Mike actually had gotten wrong Reed's name and Riley's name on a, uh, a preview of the event and had actually gone so far as to say that guys who were playing well at the six-man should be on the national team. Now, we can debate a lot of issues. But I don't really think there's any logical debate of someone's performance in the six-man warranting them a spot on the national team. I think that's going a little far. Unless you're already on the national team playing in the six-man. That would be okay. So, anyway, so that, that's kind of where it was. And I, I went up and gave Mike uh, uh, an earful after one of our matches. Because I hadn't seen the video, and somebody showed me, and so we played the next day. And I, I, was, just, I was in the stretch room afterwards just like, I want to go up and kill somebody. And so I went up into the stands, and they were on headset at the time. And I didn't have any clue about TV at the time. They were on headset at the time, and I just – Mike kind of put his headset to the side, and I laced into him a little bit. So, yeah, Jack Graham thought that was Reed. Had to, had to clarify that for him, that it wasn't Reed pretty. Let's get to the indoor men. Let's talk about that team that, going into the tournament, had gone to the World League Finals, had – won the North Sega tournament back in May to qualify for the Olympic Games and had before it what I thought was a good schedule in a tough pool. Started with Serbia, then played Germany. The two weaker teams in the pool were taking Tunisia completely out of the equation and then would play Brazil and then Russia. Reed, I, I thought you guys played your best volleyball of the four years starting right with Serbia. I thought the level was was something I had not seen from you guys except in flashes of a few points or perhaps the first half of a match I remember in North Carolina uh, back in a barn filled with flies. No joke. And and I thought the level of that team was for five matches the highest that I had seen it. Played some incredible volleyball, had two match points, I believe it was, against Russia, up two sets to none two match points in the third to sweep Russia. Of course, did not get it, then lost in five, tough match. Uh, came back and defeated Tunisia in the following match. But I thought it was the best volleyball that you guys played in the whole four years, and you brought it to pool play. 
unfortunately, in quarterfinals, a little bit different. But talk to me about arriving at the Olympic Games and the way you guys played, the way you guys performed, which was just fantastic. I, You know, I think on arriving, there was a, a – I had a really weird feeling. I think a lot of people had a weird feeling because we had no idea what was going to happen. You know what I mean? Um, it was so different from how we were entering into even 04, but especially 08. Yeah. Uh, there was just a lot of uncertainty and, you know, doing all those interviews beforehand and people asking all these questions. I mean, for, for me, I would always, you know, they'd always want to compare the two teams and I would always say the other team was more uh, stable, consistent. Um, there was a, a line of execution and very rarely, if ever, would did we ever dip below it. There would be times that we would go above it. Yeah. But there was always this consistent line. Now, this team, I would always say, was uh, our upside is better, uh, maybe significantly. I think what Matt Anderson has become um, has added a, a new sort of dimension to our pin firepower. And given the fact that he can pass the ball, um, you know, I think forever – coaches have wanted to have a, a big outside hitter that can pass. And I think Matt's sort of the first that has been able to be sort of dynamic, but also really long. And so um, I think he added a new dimension to, uh, I think, what was already a good team. And um, But when you start hearing a lot of people saying things like ups and downs, peaking at the right time. There was like this hope that you'd peak at the right time. And and that's not how you want to, that's not how you should enter into the Olympic games, hoping that you hit it at the right time. You know, there should be a, um, an expectation of who you are. And uh, going in, there was definitely a question mark in a lot of our minds because of what has transpired over the four years. Um, that said, the Olympics brought out the best in our team. Uh, I think we saw that in the qualifier, and we saw that in London. And that was cool. That was a real fun thing to be a part of. Volleyball was uh, fun. There was uh, there was uh, just a different sort of um, makeup of the team internally. And it, for the first time, all quad against opponents that were uh, really good, if not better, we were able to stay sort of in these mini games within a game to yeah. where it was one point at a time. Right. Uh, and that that's how you win at this level. You weathered runs from other teams. And, you know, I think of the Russia match. Yes, we had match point, but those first two sets were not our best sets. In fact, we were down the majority of those sets. But when it counted, we had stayed composed and were able to execute. Uh, and that, those were those were great milestones for this team the, the only the unfortunate thing is that you want you we wanted to learn those lessons and, and have that run two or three years ago and sort of build on it um and i think um uh, I, I think there was more of a breakdown over the four years than a build-up and i think you saw a little bit of a build-up here at the end um and it just wasn't enough to sustain what undoubtedly is the most pressure-filled, uh, pack, pressure-filled 
pressure-packed match in volleyball, in my opinion. The quarters? The quarters. Yeah. And uh, I was trying to explain that to Sunderland, who wasn't buying it, that, oh, the gold medal is much more. Go, no way. No, it's the quarters, man. And then yeah. the semis, then the finals. Interesting. As far as level of uh, anxiety. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, it was unfortunate because, you know, I w- we were trying to communicate during the game that, we don't need our best volleyball right now. You know what I mean? Like uh, we uh, made against before Russia, before the Russian. No, game. before Italy. This is oh, Italy. Italy. Oh, you know, during that first set, you know, they were they were doing whatever they were doing, but we were doing a good job in creating opportunities. But then we would have six or seven unforced errors that were uncharacteristic to how we'd been playing for those ten days, and we really let them off the hook that first set, and that was tough because we had game point, yeah. and that match could look differently. Now it's unfortunate that it could look different. You don't want a team. You don't want a team makeup to to have that sort of uh, mentality, to where you know just because the first set doesn't go well, then it adds more pressure. But, right. Uh, quite frankly, there was guys on our team. We've been in that situation before in that match. You know, in '04, if you remember, of course you remember. Greece. You were the, M- the MVP of that <laughs> tournament. Uh, I mean, being down one two. 20 to 12 in the yeah. fourth set. It was all but done. They were high-fiving, chest-bumping. Hugging. The place was going nuts, you know, doing their little Greek dance. And lo and behold, we come back and win 16-14. And then again, we were down 2-1 against Serbia. Yep. And we end up winning in five in the quarters. 16-14, I believe the score was. So right. even at 0-2. Um, and that was 8 Yeah, there was room to uh, kick and crawl, and it just never happened. And I think... I think for us, we just didn't have – when things were good, we played like a team. When things got bad, uh, it, it almost seemed like there was an expectation for individuals to bail out the team. And yeah. I felt that pressure. I'm sure Clay felt that pressure. Matt felt that pressure. The middle blockers felt that pressure. Donnie felt that pressure. So it stopped being our six against your six. And it was like, all right, read your turn. You know, Famous. all right. You know, let's try to get an ace. Let's try to, and it was very player specific. And to me, that's a breakdown of a system or not a system at all. And, um, you know, there's still lots of things that, that, uh, of course you look back on and, and want to change. I'm disappointed in how I played in that final match would have liked to have played better, but I know the sort of preparation that myself and my teammates put in and it was 110%. It was everything that we had. And uh, there's there's things that that are out of players' control, and and I I look back on this quad and and I have a a disappointed feeling, um, and I hope that internally within USA Volleyball, within ourselves, we could sort of do an internal audit, identify some key components that we can be better at moving forward, because this I believe was a lost opportunity given um, what we had done in 08, the talent that was. Uh, kept the guys that stayed and then the addition of these great young players that have made great gains on their own overseas and, and, you know, the, right. Talk about a Russ Holmes, Matt Anderson, Anderson, um, you know, these guys, uh, Dave Smith, uh, the stuff that he's been able to do. um, And so, you know, I, 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 it's just one of those things. It, this is what sport is, and to be an Olympic champion, to win, um, it's a it's a big thing, and you gotta you, you gotta plan and prepare. A couple of great things I think you touched on there when you talk about when things are going well, it's easy. 
as soon as things start to go bad or your opponent put, applies more pressure, you have to have all that past success, all those practices, all that team building. And by team building, I mean the idea of constructing a system, why we're here, the communication involved in getting people to buy into that. As you talked about, that's when you need that thing. And that's when it shows up that it is or is not there. It has been done or has not. There's no doing it at the games. That's the three or four years worth of work in between Olympics. And I thought that that was an obvious missing factor when you got pressure applied to you, uh, certainly in that last match. Matt Anderson, you touched on him. His play at the beginning of the Olympic Games was nothing short of amazing and fantastic. To come in and play the way he did in a passing role and then be able to perform at the net the way he did was amazing, fantastic, wonderful. I hope the kid has uh, 10 more years in him at the national team level because he's the real deal. And he played like it at the Olympic Games. And kudos to Matt. The only thing for Matt I think that happened was, and I bet you could never get him to say it, but he looked tired. That match against Italy had all the hallmarks of a tired player, both mentally and physically. He's hitting high seam, snapping into the high seam, down, off the soft block to be turned by Italy time and time again. Tries to hit the line. He does this kind of low elbow shift shot, and it hits out of bounds. Then he goes real sharp, and it's out of bounds. Then it's off the block again. All those kinds of things didn't say to me, Matt Anderson's choking. Matt Anderson's not playing as well as he did early in this tournament because he's feeling some pressure or something. It said to me that Matt Anderson has played a ton of incredibly high-level volleyball through pool play, been amazing, taken big swings, passed the ball well, played the entire game, and he's tired. First time at the Olympic Games. You can't really feel it when you're there. I think you only get it in retrospect when you go back and you play in the Olympic Games another time. And, and Reed, maybe you can react to this. You play in the Olympics another time, and then you have an opportunity to reflect on your first experience, and you start to see some of those fatigue factors or small factors that you had no idea even existed the first time you were there because you are more comfortable and familiar with the situation. Yeah, there's no question that was a part of my experience in '04. Uh, and that changed the way I trained in 08 uh, and, and even beyond. You definitely need to add a new cardio component. Uh, and Matt works out really hard in the weight room. And, and, you know, how I'd react to that, though, is that we didn't need him to be the, pl- the player he was leading up to that point. And that's, that's what this team, we could never find was how to win in different ways. How to have an off offensive night, but pass nails and score with your block. You did that against Russia. I thought that was a match where you played horribly offensively and did everything else really well. And I think I said during the, the, the match, you got to leave Reed in, and I was actually impressed that, that you were left in. I thought, here's Alan doing something right here and leaving you in for as long as he did. I don't think he should have taken you out when he did take you out, but because you were you were blocking, that's one of the things you were doing incredibly well was blocking against Russia. You were taking care of your responsibilities and making plays there, serving the ball pretty well, 
doing those other things that were necessary. And that, that is an important part of it. It's not just about offense. And I think too many coaches get caught in the stat of four for 20 or whatever it is. Right. And, you know, I, I regret my, uh, my mentality offensively, or at least my, my tactic against Russia, because I've seen Russia, when you play into them aggress- aggressively with power, um, if you don't have success, then you're playing right into their game plan. And I've been, you know, I've played there for five years. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen different teams come in and just place, especially the open hand tip is, is hard as it is, you know, to like repeatedly do that. I don't know how many times I, I might not have, I might've been four for 20, but how many times did we score on that point? Because when you put it in the right place against that team, it gives them trouble. They only right. give them one option. It takes their middles out of play. You try to get their opposite out of play, and it, they have to go high left side, which is, you know, if it's Tatukin, then bummer for shit. us. Yeah. You know, because he's the best high ball hitter out there right now. But if it's the other guys, then then it's right in there. But, but this team uh, never seemed to find an ugly win. We never had an ugly win where we just didn't have things going for us, but we found a way. And, um, if I knew, you know, I, I can I can observe that, I can comment on that, but I have no idea how to apply it to to the team. If I did, I would have we would have found a way to do it. And right, I, you could write it in a book, you could sell ten million copies. <laughs> yeah. And you know, uh, you know, maybe that'll come when I'm on the other side of of the coin, you know, coaching or whatever. But I think it's so important for a team to to have those ugly wins, to to have various ways. Uh, that they could find success. And, you know, those were, you know, the Italian match was one of those matches where it's like, hey, we don't have to feel good. We can feel the pressure. That's fine. This doesn't have to be great. This game doesn't need great. It just needs a little bit of good. And and we win. Yeah. And, and you know what? At the end of the day, yes, Italy did play their best. But I feel like they got momentum and were able to keep it. And once that team right. had momentum, they basically served us off the court. Yes, they did. But, uh, you know, these are all things that I think um, you have to build in over time. They don't happen by accident. You know, it's something that, that starts. And, of course, we've talked at Ignazium at, at how this quad started for this team. A little bit overlooked. Um, you know, in 08, Q leaves, takes the majority of the staff with him, uh, hires Karch, and moves to Anaheim. You know, those were like the press releases that are happening. And meanwhile, we're sitting overseas wondering what's going on. And we don't find out until, what is it, March? April. Or April? First. That Allen was going to be the coach. And that was mere weeks before the World League started. And I remember... And he'd never been on a tour Never been involved in the international game. Was that 2009? Ever. It was uh, 2009. April of 2009. 60 days or so, 80 days before the first match. Alan Knipe never been on a senior team tour. So, you know, there was not much continuity there, one thing. But the other thing was it just happened so late that it sort of interrupted the sort of mindset. Because I remember after 08 thinking to myself, you know, a lot of times, like after 04, you're just like, oh, I'm just so burned out, you know, whatever, whatever. You just... I just need to take a break. But after 08, it was like, okay, now let's, we've won. Now let's rival Brazil's dominance. They've set the standard. They've set, you know, it's winning over time. They've right. dominated for a five, six, seven, eight-year period. We have the horses in the stable. We have what it takes here. Let's go after that. So my mentality was, 
All right, let's get through this pro season healthy, be strong, try to play well, contribute to that team, but boom, right back into World League the next year. And when that, you know, six, seven months of ambiguity happened, I think it, it sort of, now it's like, okay, shoot, this doesn't look like it's heading in the direction that we we thought it was going to be. And, you know, that's just how this quad started. So I really hope, you know, I know Doug is is in hot pursuit of the, the presidency for the FIVB. I think that's happening here in Los Angeles and Anaheim. We'll be decided at the FIVB Congress next month. Which is going to be happening here. So the, the world of volleyball is going to descend on Anaheim, which is sort of a cool thing. Uh, maybe we can do a show from there. Maybe we can get it's been talked in. about. Cool. Yeah, that would be cool. But amidst all that, I hope. I mean, we've got some big jobs open right now. You know, if he gets that job, the CEO job, that's huge. If he's um, the president of the FIVB, yeah. Right, uh, and of course, both national team jobs. You know, with Hugh going on, and you know, both these things are open. And uh, I really believe these. If this is the tip of our spear, if really in the goal of USA Volleyball is to win gold medals, which I know it is, and I know that everyone's committed to doing that. I think we need to take a hard look at what happened um, over the last uh, four years, what we did well, what we did wrong, uh, just to ensure that, that the same things aren't happened again. And uh, I think, you know, I think this team, I think this country deserves uh, the very best. We will get to the coaching discussion. Of course, both team jobs will be open. And one more note on the men's national team and their performance there. Congratulations to Dave McKenzie who worked for so oh, long yeah. to make an Olympic roster. Cut, last man cut in 04, cut in 08, and came back, contributed to this team, came in as a serving sub, kind of his role back up opposite, played great in a warm-up match against Argentina at the opposite spot, and then served and performed at that job at a world-class level uh, at the Olympic Games. So nice job, Dave McKenzie, at the Olympic Games. Let's, uh, let's get to somebody on the phone. He's been holding a long time. I he think. has, Hopefully. but we had, we had stuff to talk about. Maybe he's still there. He's probably angry now. He's here. Chris McGee. Oh, hi, guys. Chris McGee, we uh, we kind of teased our audience that there's a little bit of an announcement that's happened with you. You've broken <laughs> You guys did, huh? You should have done that. Oh, well, we've never said anything. If you want to sit No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I did leave Fox Sports uh, for another job that I will be able to... Uh, publicly uh, in a few days. Well, all right. Very good. And thanks a lot for leaving Fox Sports. Just to... And guess who's, reaping the, uh, guess who's reaping the benefits of that? Kevin Barnett. Uh, you guys lost me? Did we lose each other? Get the blender going? No, it's just some... Barney outside doing some work. I got to close the door. Pretty loud, bro. Yeah, yeah, we're back. Yeah, close windows and doors. It's only 85 out. Hey, uh, since we got you on here, let's talk about your uh, your girls, Misty and Carrie. Unbelievable Olympic history. April and Jen. Jen getting a high fiver from me, and their performance goes so bad. Well, I, I feel like uh, the USA women uh, really, uh, really sh- showed their character and, and showed how good they really are. Uh, I, I was really proud. I mean, I watched every match uh, for Jen in April. 
I mean, we talked about it on the show, Jeremy and I, uh, right before you left, I believe, about that they had the capability of getting to a final uh, and, and winning the whole thing. Uh, I felt like for them, I, I felt winning that Brazil match the way they did after losing nine in a row to that team uh, in the rain, to be able to win that match, I, I really feel like that was kind of a gold medal for them, even though they wanted the actual gold, I know they wanted to beat Kerry and Misty. It just almost seemed destiny, destiny to me that, that they beat Brazil. And, and for them to get a silver medal and get to go on all the shows, the Today Show and all that stuff, I, I think for them, you know, they've really embraced that Olympic moment that Reed was talking about. Both of them had never been there before. Uh, I don't know if you could have asked for more out of them. Uh, Kerry and Misty, the, the amazing thing about them, and uh, I will remind Barney that I, I did pick them to win gold about three months ago when everyone jumped off their bandwagon. Yeah. I felt like when they got there, In my they would, I felt like their game would rise. I felt like they uh, had been in that pressure moment before and, and, and be able to uh, to reach back and, and, and know how that moment feels. I was a little concerned, I'll admit it, during pool play. It was interesting watching them, and I thought, man, the world's gotten so much better they just don't look as good. They're still really good, but, man, this is going to be tough. And I watched some 08 highlights, actually, on NBC.com one day when I was waiting for their match, and I was like, oh, man, they were really good back then. And then all of a sudden, uh, and they got to the playoffs, and that team completely took off. I mean, what the hell happened? Misty looked like 2005 Misty. Kerry was completely dominant. I mean, no one could touch him. To me, it was absolutely amazing. I feel like the Chinese team that they played in the semifinals, and we talked about this on the Net Live, was the next best thing, uh, the next best team. There wasn't a question about it that they were better than Brazil. And that women's match was the best women's match I've ever seen in, in, in beach volleyball, hands down. That semifinal was the best one I, I'd ever seen. And that's where Kerry and Misty won it, I think. Let me ask you this about Carrie and Misty. Were there high-five antics pre-planned? It seemed like there was a lot of crazy pre-planned. Carrie and Misty? Little, it was almost like playing patty cake at the uh, the schoolyard. It seemed to me the, the hugging and the slapping. Barney, like I, I, I don't even know what, what the hell you're talking about right now. I, I wish I did. Don't, don't be like the rest of the guys that just talk about bikinis and high-fives. I don't even know what you mean, uh, to be honest with you, buddy. Wow. I, have no I didn't mention bikinis. I know better. I, I did listen either. to the programs. And, uh, yeah, you didn't like any bikini comments. It was just I, I, For me, it's just tired, guys. I'm t- it's tired, like, talking about the same things all the time. But, really, I didn't even notice any high-five deals, to be honest with you. Well, I definitely noticed high-five deals in the semifinal, Jesse <laughs> in April. That's their thing, though. No, no, no. Yeah, but that's been their thing for seven years. Listen, they weren't doing it, and they were losing. And then they went got back to it. Next thing you know... You know, she says something about popping in a piece of gum. Her lucky gum. And they start doing the high five, and it was a different game. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I, well, it's funny, Reed. You know, you, you, you even talk about it. I think, like, they get you get in those moments, you get away from what's got you there. All of a sudden, you know, they're like, wait, we're not even celebrating. And those guys celebrate on every point. Okay. So you make does, a good point. Does the success of Misty and Carrie and also April and Jen, does that success mean anything for the broad spectrum of the success of volleyball or beach volleyball professional tours here in the States? McGee. Um, unfortunately, I, I, I don't think it does. I, I remember in 2004, 
we were probably in our prime there in 05 and, and 06 and before the economy kind of went in the crapper and things changed, uh, you know, AVP was at the top of its game and, and the crowds were enormous. I, I remember in 08 I felt this way. Um, you know, we went to Cincinnati and Jeremy can attest to this. This is probably the most raging event I, I, I've ever been to outside of Manhattan. I mean, it was absolutely off the charts the week after the Olympics, but you know, how are we recapturing this buzz? I, I, when's the next event? I guess, you know, Manhattan, Manhattan, Manhattan Open is this weekend, but, you know, I don't feel like many people know, you know, outside of the our volleyball circle, really what's going on with Beach. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't, I don't think it has much effect. I mean, I hope it does. Uh, you know, I'd love to see the sport, uh, get a strong domestic presence. Um, and, and, and who knows, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to dive into that again and say, man, we are, you know, I remember in 08, I kind of made that mistake. I thought it was, we were going to take off. So, uh, you know, I'm going to side on, I don't think so. I think I'm, I don't think it means much because I think I've made this point before, Misty and Kerry, they are Olympians in their fame, not beach volleyball players. But the other issue, too, is that after 08, when they won back-to-back and they really started getting publicity, they didn't play after that together on tour. And they're not playing again now, so you right. can't capitalize on yeah. that. Yeah, but April. Yeah, I mean, in o- you guys got to remember, in 04 when they won, the next week they were in Chicago. Uh, I mean, and they ended up playing in the next, you know, four years on the AVP tour, and that's the best years the AVP had. I mean, you could market them together. Um, you know, it'd be great to have Jen and April, Phil and Todd, Rosie Gibb all playing domestically right now, but um, on a tour that everyone knows. But it's just not, it's not the case. And you know, for Misty, you know, Misty talked about retiring from internationally a lot. She never said domestically. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if she, if there was something domestically down the road, she plays. But um, you know, I think her focus is family, and, and, and who knows what Carrie's going to do in terms of family as well. Well, I think you need to remember that in 1996, the United States was old, right? And the tour was out of business by '98. And in 2008, the United States dominated gold, and the tour was out of business by 10. So I don't think there's a way we can say that Olympic success translates into professional tour business in the States. I just, I just don't think that that's yeah. uh, a comparison that can be made, despite the best hopes, dreams, and thoughts of several people from old-school volleyball. Yeah, no doubt. Talk to me no about doubt. McGee before you have to jet. Talk to me about the men, Phil and Todd. Out early, of course, lots of injury issues there. Stuff with Todd that, uh, or pardon me, stuff with Phil that wasn't widely known. Blood clot in the shoulder, a few days in the hospital, a month out from the Olympic Games, and of course Todd and his own issues that then cropped up during the games. Uh, and then tell me about uh, Sean Rosenthal and uh, Jake Gibb. Uh, I, I really thought Jake and Sean were going to medal uh, with, with a chance to win gold. Uh, I think some teams changed their plan and strategy, and, and, and they served Rosie a lot more than he has ever been served. And he just didn't execute like he normally does and he needs to do for them to win a medal. That was the bottom line for me. I thought Jake, uh, you know, I think everyone was ready for Jake to continue what he'd been doing, and, and, and teams switched it up on him. And, you know, uh, I, I haven't talked to Rosie or Gibb, but I know that that was a disappointing loss, a way more devastating loss than what happened in, in 08. Um, for Phil and Todd, man, I watched them. They just never really seemed right to me. I feel like the match they lost, Todd kind of got himself right and was doing well enough. I thought Phil 
had an opportunity to really take over and dominate and be Phil that we know, the best player in the world, hands down. Uh, and I just think he never really went after that moment. You know, injuries aside, I thought they were really classy afterwards and what they said. They gave all the credit uh, to the other team. But, I, I, you know, I was just kind of waiting for Phil to bomb a serve, uh, get a couple of roofs, just something that I was so used to seeing him doing all the time in pressure situations. But it was interesting what Heather Cox said, and I thought she did a really good job on the sideline that whole tournament. But uh, as did you, Barney, in the indoor, you were phenomenal. I, I think she, she said it best that Phil was really nervous. They were had a really nervy feeling. And maybe sometimes uh, even when you've won goals, and Reed could attest to this, you get that nervy feeling or that uncomfortable feeling, whether you think it's coming to an end or you're just not feeling right. And I think that that's what, that's what affected them, man. They, you need to play great. Uh, in those moments, and, and, and they just didn't. How much of that was the injury and the lack of play and preparation going in? I think it had a lot to do with it, man. If you're not playing all the time and playing in those tournaments and getting to the semifinals or getting to the finals or building to get to where you want to be or feel right, ah, man, it's tough. It's tough. About the future for the men's game. Do we off given professional volleyball here in the state and really – for both, although I think of the men's game, and I, and I wonder with Phil probably going to pick up a new partner. Todd, mm-hmm. we probably think is done, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. It will have a lot more years on them by the time the 2016 games roll around. And also, Sean and John, the way that, I mean, John would be an incredible player. He can play at 45, however old he'll be by the time 2016 rolls around. I think he'll be 42. I just don't see that as possible. Is this going to hurt the game? Is the lack of a professional tour going to hurt the game? Is it going to change the game? Will the USA volleyball system of or of a national team system, a beach selection training and yearly competitions, then a selection and trials? Because there's going to be trials. People missed out on an opportunity. Uh, will will all that negatively impact the USA's performance four years from now? Yeah, I mean it's definitely a concern. I mean at the time we knew Phil was really young and. Rosie was still young, and 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 Carrie, and all these people. So it's it's definitely uh you're definitely gonna have to look at those younger kids that are coming up. I mean I, I know everyone's real big on uh, on on Ryan, the avatar there. Uh, you know he's a young guy that's learning to play the game with uh, with Casey Patterson. And you know uh, the bottom line is Barney, these guys are gonna have to start getting over there and playing against that competition. Um, and then you're gonna have to have a strong domestic tour so they can play just like Brazil does against each other. Um, I think that's when we're at our best. So, yeah, I think there's some huge question marks when you look to 2016. There's no doubt about it. Trials, trials, trials. It's going to come up on this program. We're not going to but it should have. I think some of the results towards the fact that you Listen, can't. Listen, guys, uh, i I got to roll. i got to get on a conference call. But, uh, yeah, I will uh, I will definitely fill you guys in on, 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 on what my new job is going to be. But uh, I've been with Fox for nine years, and it was a – Phenomenal run. I'm happy, Barney, that you're getting in there a little bit and getting to do some stuff. And, uh, Reed, welcome home. We missed you, and uh, you did a great job, man, representing our country. Thanks, Keeter. Thanks, Keith. All right, we'll All talk right. to you. Chris McGee, okay. check. I've been with Fox right. for two days. It's good. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. I'll be uh, hosting the Prep Zone Live on Friday nights. A lot doing, of big stuff happening on this show. Does also, Fox do motocross? I'm confused. Uh, no, M- motocross will may or may not happen in the spring. We'll see. I I hope it does. It'll be happening on October 20th at Sam Boyd Stadium in Vegas. Anybody wants to go, Monster Energy Cup should be an awesome event. But uh, I'll be also doing play-by-play now. Mostly I a couple of analyst dates, but play-by-play for Pac-12 Network 
and also doing some Longhorn Network Pac-12 games. Pac-12 volleyball? Pac-12 volleyball. Be spending some time with the Washington Huskies up at Cal, doing some USC matches. Also be doing a few Texas matches down there in Austin. I love going to Austin, by the way. Great city. That came through late. It, it overlapped with everything else. Had the opportunity to do basically an entire schedule of Longhorn. And I'm bummed out that the timing wasn't there because I love going to Austin. Love it. Love that city. See the bats. Love the colors. I, I could wear burnt orange. It's, it's not your, that far off from peppermint it's in, orange. It's in your color wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about the indoor women. Got some stuff to dissect there with that team and their results and a lot of changes coming up for that roster. Lots and lots of changes. But good stuff to talk about with them. The Net Live on a Tuesday. I don't know if I said Monday last time. It's Tuesday. Who cares? It's the show. Glad you're here. You don't have to find the best college coaches. They find you at Spire Institute. Spire's post-grad volleyball academy wants athletes. Spire delivers customized volleyball training and competition led by head coach John Hawks, athletic development with Michael Johnson performance, and educational options all in Olympic-grade facilities. There is no better way to impress college coaches and increase scholarship opportunities. Spire Institute postgraduate men's and women's programs in multiple sports. It's not taking a year off. It's adding a year to your future. Sign up today at spireinstitute.org.
into the net live from the home court just had Chris Geter McGee check in and out Jeremy Roche at the controls and our own Reed Pretty sitting in Reed I know you had a comment on uh, one of the questions there late in the last segment talking about what does the change in system lack of a professional tour mean for future Olympic performance in the world of beach volleyball I think more it was more what what did this Olympics do for volleyball? Okay. And I think it was extremely positive. I think that, uh, however, it it's it only solidified itself as an Olympic sport, in a sense. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's in the swimming gymnastics category. I think in Americans' minds at Whoa. this point, in the sense of you know, get NBC on board with that. It's in every. It's an every four-year event. Beach volleyball is there for sure. So I think, I think that it does nothing. I had a lot of hopes and expectations after just USA Volleyball's performance, beach and indoor men's and women's after Beijing. That was an, a phenomenal dominance. And from that point, you expect, or at least we expected, that thing, your life was going to change for the better. And it didn't. It's the same. And I think it's going to continually be the same. And I think for beach volleyball players, it's my opinion that there's lots of money to be made. It's just not in this country. Just like in indoor, there's lots of money to be made. There's a professional career out there that is possible. It's just not in the States. And um, and so I think it was extremely positive. But I don't know that it's at that point yet where it's going to look differently on American soil for now. My only hope is that NBC will see sort of what took place and the excitement around it, not only live, but also back here, and and continually to broadcast where our players are already playing, uh, which is on the FIVB Tour and, and, and indoors. And like you mentioned, not having a qualification tournament, now we're on this side of it, I don't think it changes anything in terms of who goes, to be honest with you. And I don't think it changes the results. That's not, you know, I would I would disagree with you on that. However, that's NBC's kickoff to the Olympic Games, which is a huge um, asset for them. You know, it's a huge, the Olympics are huge. There's a reason why they pay multi-billion dollars for it. And if you look at all the sports that had qualification tournaments, it was an unbelievable opportunity early in the summer to rival the NBA playoffs, to right. rival golf. Right. Uh, it was prime time. It was Sunday afternoons. You know, it was it was major events. And I think beach volleyball did a, itself a disservice in not having that opportunity to be live on NBC in a in a prelude to the Olympic Games. The value that NBC puts on beach volleyball during the Olympics is in prime time all the time. Gets a ton of coverage. They blow it up. They would have blown up a trials. Oh, yeah. It would have changed who went on the men's side. Phil was in the hospital. You know what? True. Very true. If it was about a month out, which is not uncommon timing, 
even closer for some sports. But if it was a month out, no way. They don't go. Somebody else goes. And honestly, I think that's the better selection system. It'll happen the next Olympics. It will, whether the players want it to or not. It's another one of those things, though, just like with the hiring of coaches. is like this has got to be happening right now. You know what I mean? That That's what the players were it's already, so – It's already done in my mind. It's done. Yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> but what if there's no domestic viable beach tour in the United States at that time? It doesn't matter. Well, then they should work on getting the FIB tour to have a stop here or two stops here and have that play into uh, maybe a system. But the the point is, I think, that going through that whole qualification process, the players were upset that it that it was happening so late. Yeah, of course. And so now is the time for the players to really step up and join the part, be a part of the process right now and trying to see this thing through, help the process, be a part of the process, throw in um, your experience, your wisdom, what you know about tournaments and qualification and how you would like to see it done. Now's your time to make that mark instead of just stay on the sidelines and wait till somebody else makes the decision and then try to protest it. Yeah, and then complain. No, I, I think this is where it's at for the players and what the organization ought to do. USA Volleyball is essentially taking over with this beach team, this national team concept, USA Volleyball should set it up. There are trials right now. Can't necessarily set a date, set a month-long window in 2016. It's June of 2016 or May of 2016 or whatever. That's when trials will occur, give or take a couple of weeks. Plan now. Get yourself ready. Play the tours you need to play. Arrive there. And I say you're going to have to come up with a format that's workable, but a fairly open format is fine. I'd like to look at swimming. I don't know what the requirements are for swimming. I know swimming is an interesting sport because the players, or the, the pardon me, the swimmers, operate outside of USA Swimming a lot of the time. They swim for clubs. They swim in events. They swim for themselves. It is not a centralized system. Yet those athletes somehow get into trials. They have to swim a certain time or something to qualify for trials, I think it is. There has to be some sort of standard to get into that tournament, that qualification tournament when I agree at with trials. You. And I sorry, go ahead. But it doesn't have to be all FIVB. Yeah. Sorry, folks. A good volleyball team is a good volleyball team. If I can defeat Phil and Todd who have defeated the entire FIVB, it stands to reason I can defeat the entire FIVB. I don't buy your logic that you have to play on the FIVB tour to have success in the Olympic Games. Honestly the Olympic Games, the worst tournament there is for four years as far as quality goes. Agreed. The worst. But you need to play internationally, at least. There needs to be some type of international agenda. Yeah, but you don't. You shouldn't have to play there a ton. It shouldn't be geared toward the four people who can make a living. Yeah, I'm with you. You're talking about the money read that's out there for beach volleyball athletes. I'm sorry, beach. You get a lot of attention during the Olympics. A lot. And a, I think it gives the athletes, especially at the top, a false sense of where they lie in the sports landscape. Look at the money being made indoors. How many players make a living playing indoors across the world? 2,000? 3,000 between all the countries? Take it with just the United States. How many players go out and play from the United States every year and make a living doing that? 50? Oh, no. They signed some, somewhere in the, in the couple hundred transfers. Right, per gender, there's a ton of transfers. There's probably 
numbers around 500 between the two genders, probably total transfers. But I'm talking about you're making a living. You're on the thing. We're trying to get to you're making money per year. You're not at a zero, right? You're not going for the overseas experience. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's 50, maybe it's 100 people that are actually coming home with some money. Maybe it's 10 grand or whatever it is. But they, they lived over there. They got room and board paid for. They came out net positive. How many people are playing beach volleyball, United States players, and coming out net positive? Six per gender, 12 people. And even those bottom couple, the you know nine or eight through 12, those people are scraping. Like, should work at Walmart, they'd make more money. Being greeters. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just, and I don't say that with any glee. I say that with disappointment, that that's the way it is. If you're Misty, if you're Carrie, if you're April, if you're Jen, life's pretty good. If you're the next level of players, Pavlik, Crop, uh, I'm trying to think of a couple others that are uh, Hanson, Fendrick, life's pretty good. You're doing okay. Okay. If you're Casey Patterson and Ryan Doherty, you're doing okay. If you're Sean and John, you better have other jobs. If you're Phil and Todd, you're making money. If you're Jake and Rosie, you're making money. So we're talking about eight people that are making money from the United States at beach volleyball. Eight people. That's it. That is not a professional sport. I don't care how much attention you get in the games. That is not a professional sport. Eight people, and the rest are fighting over scraps or having to go play in Puerto Rico and play indoor in order to play beach. Yeah. Or having to work a job at 12th Street to go to beach. I know 12th Street's been closed for like but 15 years. With you. But that's the problem with that sport right now. There is no business associated with the sport, yet you come to the Olympic Games and it is widely celebrated, widely watched, promoted. It's an incredible scene, a party. It's great. I went a couple of nights. It's fantastic and fun. It looks great on TV, and people are pumped about it. And then you have to wait another four years. Well, also the issue is NBC and other people have gotten so many phone calls and emails since the Olympics. They're like, oh, how can we get our events to be like what the Olympics is? Yeah, it's not going to be the Olympics. It's not going to happen. We're not going to get. We could get a crowd of ten thousand people, sure, but they're not going to show up in costumes. They're not going to be raging their faces off throughout the day. A, because you can't drink on the beach here. But B, it's just not what our style is. And I keep having to explain that to people. Been doing this for ten years. Yeah, I don't care what music I play all day long. They're just not going to rage like they do overseas. It's just not going to happen. But back to Reed's point, I, I think I agree with you that. USAB needs to put a plan in place now. The sooner you do it now, the more people can prepare for it, the more everybody knows what's going on. Because I agree that the issue before was there was no, like, well, is this going to happen? Is this not going to happen? You want to do it two weeks before the Olympics. That doesn't work for everybody. I mean, it's. I know there's a lot of uh, moving parts to it. I think once Doug's situation probably gets figured out, then they can probably look at making decisions. But I worry about the sport. I'm not going to lie to you. Beach. I worry about it big time. Sure. Yeah, I think, you know, it was always going to happen, I think, this quad, this pat, this previous quad, but when the AVP yep. went under, then it really changed the landscape for those people because all the players, of course, wanted to stay on home soil and qualify. But when that opportunity wasn't there, especially for the top players to make money, then it was more convenient and it made more sense. Of course. They were going to be on the FIVB tour anyway, so let's just leave it the same. They flipped their entire opinion when the tour collapsed. It became the opposite of what they've been saying before. Which I have no problem with. 
Right, because but, they're, but they're, give the reason why. Exactly. Be honest about it. Um, you know, don't try to say you're doing this for the kids and the next generation. Um, that's don't, where I lost. Don't start crying. That's where they lost me, uh, uh, or at least the majority of the, the very vocal ones, is when their intentions, uh, they were trying to be, uh, they were trying to say they had different intentions with, than what was really there, which yeah. their real intentions are totally understandable. This is your business. Yeah, just be right. honest about it. You want to make You're money, in business you want for to yourself. That's fine. Right. Say that. I need there to be no trials. I need to be qualified six months out so I can sign sponsors, get Gatorade, get a lot of media attention that I am in the Olympics. I'm an Olympian. Say that. And say that's good for the game because of X, Y, and Z. And make your case. Because you want me in the Olympics. Make your case. Yeah. Don't come in and cry and talk about your love of the game and your passion for the sport and the people and the future. Stop. This is when I wish we had uh, video so people could have seen your face right there. <laughs> Give me the real reasons. Let's have a debate about the real reasons. Let's talk about it because I understand that point. I understand that need and how that might play out. What I don't get is coming in and lying and attaching all this emotion to it and trying to hijack the situation to your advantage by utilizing some appeal for the children. It's like the newspapers nowadays. Everything is, what about the kids? You know, Give me a break. Yeah, you know, and, and they also tried to slam USAV as if they were crossing some moral line with what they were trying <laughs> oh, to do with yeah. trials, which was just yeah, unfair. No. It was extremely fair. And I, you you know, can't I've, have a real discussion, though. I've talked to... Uh, a lot of players who were sort of in the fold of those discussions, you know, lumped into the, hey, it's me and all of these players. And I think that they've really come <laughs> to find out that their best intentions weren't being represented. And, you know, I would just encourage all of our listeners out there to uh, be a part of the process. It's open. Uh, USAV, the board, are they want to do right by the sport and, and be a part of the process. And, and get in there, and you know what? There, there may be strength in numbers, but just make sure that 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 strength is representing, you know, the right things. But let's have an honest discussion about it. Don't veil your your opinion in your own needs. It's it's easily seen. Through. And nothing is going to be perfect for everybody. No, it's not. I mean, that just can't happen. And we're not all going to agree. And of course, whatever. But it's it's a long discussion that I'm interested in what the other folks have to say. All right, indoor women. Let's talk about them. Best team in the tournament. Period. For me. Best team in the world. Best team in the world. Win the tournament nine times out of ten. They're a gold medal team. This was the tenth time. For whatever reason, this turned out to be the tenth time. They they are the best team. They had the most talent. They played some amazing volleyball. They ground out a win when they weren't playing their best volleyball at times. They behaved just like the 08 men. I thought that they represented their country perfectly. And it's a shame what happened. It's a shame that they came out in the gold medal match and Brazil wilted in front of them in that first 21 set. 21-11? 25-11. Sorry, I apologize. Yeah. That was a beach score. 25-11. Worst mashing. Worst ever set loss for Brazil in the rally score era. That goes back to 1998. Worst ever. 
2511. No, I watched it online, so I didn't get to hear your commentary. Do you think, and I didn't necessarily get this by, but do you think they thought they won it after the first set? I said it was bad for both teams. When the score got to like 22 to 10 or whatever it was, I said this is bad for both teams. Obviously bad for Brazil Yeah, to lose that way. But bad for the Americans as well because you come ready for battle. And I did say this in the broadcast. You come ready for a war. You know Brazil is a good team. You know you are a good team. You come ready to fight it out for the gold medal, to have a great match. And Brazil falls apart in front of your eyes. And I think you just go, we got them for a second. Yeah. Players will never say they did. Of course not. But I think you do that a little bit because it's just so easy. And so as the teams were switching sides, they said, listen, both teams have to forget about this set. Both of them do. Not just Brazil. Obvious one is Brazil. Got to wipe it away and say, we're playing a, a new match now. The Americans had to do the same. I thought Brazil then, to their credit, came back and made plays. It wasn't that the Americans all of a sudden fell apart. Brazil came back and made plays. They dug balls. They swung free. F. Garay on the outside, just swinging for the fences. I thought that that team really did a nice job of being aggressive and really had nothing to play for. If you watched them in the semifinal, when they won the semifinal, they celebrated like they won the gold medal. I think because they knew they were up against the buzzsaw. The United States hardly celebrated at all. Won the semifinal, work to do, walk off the court. Here we go. We have one more match for our actual goal. I liked what the United States did there, that it was... This is great, but we are on a gold medal mission here. I liked that. Brazil looked like they won the gold medal in the semis. And I think that's because they didn't feel like they were the better team. Yeah. Then they get stomped. And then they just go, eh, whatever. We're going to play. We're going to swing. We're going to get after it. And it's not going to matter. And they came and played free. And all of a sudden, the United States, never seen them do it. Haven't seen him do it. I didn't. I was confused. I'd never see. I was. I emailed Kevin. I was like, "What happened?" I had no idea. I'd never seen that team play before. They just tightened up. They just looked nervous and tight and didn't did not perform the way they had even under pressure against Korea in the semis or against you know in several matches when the other teams had runs throughout pool play. We had Cynthia Barboza on while you guys were gone. Yeah. And she was talk. we asked her about, like, which teams, you know, do you think is the biggest competition for U.S. And Brazil was one of the teams she talked about, and they kind of run the same system. And that's all that was going through my head was that interview with her while I was watching that match. That's all I could think about. And I was, and I was just confused. I was confused watching the match. And I think a lot of people were, including me. Yeah. Because I hadn't seen that team behave that way. I hadn't seen that deer-in-the-headlights look. And that kind of vacant, not vacant stare, but uh, but vacant response from that team. Very odd that uh, that, that happened. You know, Brazil, I, I watched them throughout the tournament uh, just by virtue of being on uh, when we had our off times. And uh, I just, they were, they were, you know, a set or a loss or a point away from not even making it into the medal round, it seemed like. Right, um, six set points against or match points against Russia, right? Is that, is that them? Or that's well, Brazil. Well, they, no, that's Brazil in the in the gold was, medal men. Sorry, I get it all mixed no, up. No, but that was that was Brazil. In, Brazil women uh, were almost out. No, Brazil women in the quarterfinal played Russia and knocked them out. 
Oh, that's right. And and you know what? Brazil could have been out. Exactly. If the United States women had dumped at the at the end, if the United States women had dumped their last match to Turkey, Brazil's not even in the, in the uh, crossover. Right. So oh, I, and they played. You know, I was actually watching it with a few of the guys, and and there were some dynamics on the Brazilian women's team that I could see some parallels in our team because like when things weren't going well, you could see them sort of each of them pressing a little bit too yeah. much and, and disintegrated, but they would cheer like they won the gold medal for one good point. <laughs> so when the, when they caught the momentum, you know, it was pretty huge. And I mean, they were just, they made so many hitting errors in that first set. But then after that, I mean, they were hitting really well. I mean, just going after it. And I, I think it was just one kill led to the next kill. I mean, they were going full out in the first set they just were hitting it out hitting it wide hitting it this way that way and you know once they started attacking cross court and then they it wasn't just always the same shot they had a and their whole team they were coming at them from all different directions and it seemed as though we had a hard time terminating uh, a point they seemed to be in great spots on destiny and uh it was almost as if you know she's i think she's so used to overpowering teams that maybe she hasn't been put in a scenario where she needs to sort of just use the block mm-hmm. uh, because they just seem to be in great spots. You know, they're the Brazilian libero played well. Um, and it was, it was a bummer because like you said, the six previous times leading up, they beat them six times in a row. And it's momentum's a funny thing in this, in this game. What was the vibe like you were watching in the stands? What was it like in the stands? I'm sure the Brazilian fans were losing their minds, but the first set was just like, wow, these girls, this system, this coach, I mean, like he's going to go down as somebody who's done something not many people have done, and still he has. Okay, yeah, had, he, had he done it, Z Roberto, Roberto Guimaraes, is the only coach ever to put two women or two teams, men and women, in the gold medal, win the gold medal with the men and the women. She would have become the second ever to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, there was definitely – you know, it, w- it was great. But then in that second set, when things, uh, they swung the opposite direction and Brazil just seemed to get more and more momentum. And we just, it seemed like we were out of rhythm a lot. Um, Couldn't hitting, pass. Hitting high balls. Struggling uh, to pass the ball. Yeah. So uh, it was, that was a bummer because they, they've put together just a, a, a remarkable four years and, um, what I like about it is that they've had success year in and year out. Uh, it wasn't just a let's be great at the Olympics uh, mindset. And uh, Three-time Grand Prix champion. With a lot of moving parts. I mean, they had a lot of girls who didn't make this particular London trip that have played significant minutes. And uh, I know the girls were saying, even in their practices, um, they were commenting on a few of the girls of just how hard it is to kill a ball in their own gym. Hmm. Um, and so I think that they've uh, just put together a great, great run, and it was just really unfortunate. Definitely the best team, definitely the best gym I've ever seen of talent. Reed mentioned it earlier. They could have made two teams. Yeah. Their second team would have qualified for the Olympics and maybe been in the medals. A complete second team. I will say that, and this could be them just saying the right things, but all the interviews are um – in print or on TV, all the girls were all saying the right thing. They're like, obviously, at this point, they didn't win the goal, but they're like, we still have the silver medal. It's, I mean, we represented our country. That was the important, like, you know. But at least they were saying. I mean, some people they lose, and you're like, 
like that guy that got fourth place in the bike race. He's like, yeah, fourth place was this is the worst place ever. <laughs> well, okay, here's here's the thing with that silver medal, and this is the weird dynamics of a of a medal ceremony, right, in a team sport. You have the gold medal who are stoked, the bronze medal who are stoked because they won, their, they last won match. their last match. I say that all the time. And silver, they're pissed. Yeah. I ran into a, a few of the women on the way out. I ran into Lindsay. I ran into Feluca, and and I I remember giving Lindsay a hug and saying congratulations on silver. You know, I think I may have said this to Luca and Lindsay has said congratulations on a great career and two silvers. I mean that that achievement to win the silver medal is nothing to be disappointed about. No doubt. Yes, you want to win the gold medal. Yes, you were the best team, and you should have won the gold medal. That should have happened. But to win the silver medal twice for a lot of these women, twice, is incredible. An amazing Way to finish a career. I think I wrote to Lindsay. I said, the gold would have been the perfect way to finish a career. The silver is a great way to finish a career. You know, yeah, you can't necessarily walk off and do the walk off like John Elway. But the silver, you won a silver medal. Yeah. You played incredible volleyball, to your point. Represented their country with incredible aplomb. Just... What a performance by them. Yeah. Even Phil and Todd jigged Rosie. I was, and I told them all that I was proud of them just for the way they represented the country, regardless whether you came home with a medal or not. Let's take it back another step. Just to go. No doubt. To go. There are 300 plus million people in the United States. There are four men on the beach volleyball side who go. Four. There are 12. Someone do the math. 12 into 300 million you know, just to go, you've already won. Unfortunately, because of the way we are, anything but gold sort of gets dismissed. Yeah. That's unfortunate. But to the USA women, you were the best team. You played some amazing volleyball. I was impressed. I had a great time. Thanks for the ride. Congratulations on silver. Did you give any of them high fivers? <laughs> I don't think I high fivered anybody. <laughs> I, I mean, that's it. So we we can talk about some players up and down. I mean, everybody wanted to talk about Destiny Hooker after the the Olympic Games, and I'll stick to my comment that I, I put on the air during. She is a unbelievable athlete in a class of her own as far as an athlete goes. She is not a great volleyball player yet. Because being a great volleyball player means you can do more than attack. I was more impressed with Matt Anderson's performance than I was Destiny's because he has to pass. Playing the opposite is easier. I was incredibly impressed with both athletes. But there are plays you have to cover. You have to be able to play defense. You have to block effectively all the time. You have to make the right moves all the time if you are a great player, a great volleyball player. She's a fantastic athlete on the right track, like Matt Anderson. I think the future is bright for both those athletes if they continue to improve their overall volleyball IQ and overall volleyball performance. I hope they are in the program for the next 10 years, both of them, and a couple more, two, three more Olympic Games, because they had a great start in their first Olympics, both of them. One last discussion before we lose Reed Pretty here. Why NBC sucks. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of that. 
All right. Listen up and understand. Here's the situation. Are you okay? going to rant right now? Well, not really. I'm going to explain. <laughs> you saw more volleyball than you've ever seen. Ever. It was on MSNBC. It was on NBCSN. More than you've ever had an opportunity to watch. Whole tournament, not just USA matches. Whole matches. USA-Russia, two and a half hours. Every point was on TV. Live. On like a Saturday or something. That we held down NBCSN or NBC at one point on a Sunday. The whole day. Like, match after match. There was more volleyball than you could ever dream of. With the women's gold medal match. Everybody said, oh, NBC's off the bandwagon. They don't want to show the American women because they lost. Here's the story, folks. We knew going in, we were only showing 30 minutes. Oh, really? Before it started, 30 minutes. And why was that? It was going in prime time. Hmm. The reason it goes in prime time is because NBC is excited about the product. They're stoked on the volleyball. They wanted more volleyball. They loved the volleyball. Put it on. Put it on. Put it on. Let's put it in prime time because they like it. So now you volleyball purists get less and you get pissed off because you're not getting that more volleyball. And you think, oh, NBC sucks. They hate volleyball. It's exactly the opposite. They love it. They put it in prime time because they love it. The offshoot of that is you don't get to watch as much of it. You then get to watch as much as you want because it's on the Internet. Even now, you can go back and watch anything you want. You could watch anything you wanted then, to your point, about watching the stream live. Look, the fact that they showed all that stuff live online should be okay with everybody that's not seeing it. Like, they're showing it live. It's they there for the take. It hasn't been like that before, so stop your complaining. And then everybody on Facebook, oh, stop. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Get off social media if you don't want to know the result. Right. Right. Don't go on Facebook. Quell your addiction. Yeah. But we knew we only had 30 minutes because they were so excited about it. Good. So we are actually in the arena. I'm watching the event. I'm on site. I'm on the mic the whole time, not saying anything. I'm usually talking to the truck and stuff until the eight-point uh, or eight-point eight timeout or the 16-point timeout of set number two. And then we start to do our segments because we know we, we have about a game and a half or set and a half of material that we need, 30 minutes. We actually called the match. We had to go back because they wanted to tell the story of the first set. And we spent the whole first set monkeying around, finding family members, finding people, which we didn't even get to show because you can't just show the family members when everything's going to hell. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. You know, in a handbasket. So all that work went out, the, went out the window. But that's why it ends up in primetime. Now, you have to understand this about their primetime audience. This is an audience which is not sports people. They don't watch the NFL. Correct. They don't watch Major League Baseball. They will not attend a basketball game or watch a basketball game in the next nine months. These are not sports people. These are Olympic fans. These are people that tune in for the Olympics because it's the Olympics. That's why you get the exposure you get. And that audience is like eight times bigger than the daytime audience. So you're actually doing better for the sport, exposing the sport when it is in prime time versus being on for the 10 purists who don't have a job who can tune in Tuesday at 1 o'clock. So to the 10 purists, all of whom emailed the show, it's okay. Deal with it. Relax. It's on now. NBC actually loves the product. That's why it was on. It's so it, trolls. Take it easy. It does bother me, though, when it's a metal match and you don't get to see the whole thing. I understand. But it's still a wider audience, better I, exposure totally for the sport. So, but if my country is in the running to get a medal, you better show me the whole match. So you're in the troll cave. Good no, for you. I'm not. You are. Nope. Just, yeah. Just open Big, up your laptop. ugly, hairy troll cave. You're in it. I'm a very good-looking guy. All right. So here's a <laughs> 
Here's a question. Handsome troll. Yeah. Who? How are Misty and Carrie able to play? Like it was in, the same in Beijing, where like their schedule was always in prime time. They're playing at eleven o'clock at night. That's how in I made London, it to a couple of these matches. In Beijing, it was the other way around. Right. But it was always going to be live in prime time here in the states. Right. Is NBC responsible for that? Responsible for that? Yes. So they're going to the FIVB saying, "Hey, we need these and two the organizers." Really? Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. You think NBC has some pull? Yeah. Because men's basketball was the same. They would always yep. play the super late ones too. So, all right. It's where the money's being made. No, that and that's that's why beach volleyball. Hey, at the Olympics, it's a big deal, man. It is up there when they talk about gymnastics, swimming, beach volleyball. It's isn't, in that list. Isn't beach volleyball the only um, venue that was sold out the entire time? I think everything was sold out. I mean, getting tickets to was a nightmare. I was trying to get tickets for people. Speaking for... of which, do you like when you went to see the women's match? Do you have to buy your tickets or uh, not, not in that venue? Okay. He doesn't have to. His wife did. Yeah, we paid a cool three hundred for her to watch that match. It was expensive. Yeah, <laughs> tickets tickets were unreal. If you've never been to London. Everything's priced like it's dollars, except it's a seventy percent premium. Uh, it's a buck seventy. So you go out to eat, right? Decent restaurant. By the way, food in London, I don't care. English food may suck. You don't eat English food in England. I mean, there's all kinds of fantastic food to be had. Italian, had amazing, Persian, amazing fish and chips, though I will say, fish and chips is fantastic. Oh, I love man. that. So, you know, enough with that ugly rumor. But you go out to eat. You look at a menu. Decent meal. Thirteen fifty, fourteen fifty, whatever. American. No, that's pounds. Gotcha. You're like, oh, so it's priced like it would be as though this was dollars, except that's twenty one dollars. Actually more than that. Nice. It's more like twenty four dollars for your basic olive garden, you know, that kind of thing. So that's the lowdown on why NBC sucks. So trolls have at it, get educated or don't listen and keep complaining. Some stuffy trolls out there, don't we? And if you refer to me as a troll ever again, it's over. It's going down. Yeah. Well, don't hang out with them then. Don't don't I, side I don't. with the trolls. I don't. But if, if my country is getting a medal, you need to show me the whole match. If your hair was pink, it would be perfect for a you troll. You showed me 36 hours of bike racing. <laughs> By the way, got made fun of for trying to make it to BMX. Always wanted to make it to BMX. <laughs> Have video of me driving behind the BMX stadium going, are they practicing? How do I get in? Is anybody in there doing anything? <laughs> Everybody's making fun of me. And it happened that the quarters and semis happened at exactly the same moment as BMX. Listen, we have a discussion about the next set of national team head coaches that I am looking forward to. We're not going to do it now. The show is coming to a close. Mr. Pretty needs to motor along. He's got the family, and he's got some surf to hit. Maybe a workout because he's still a professional volleyball player. Where are you going this year? I'm going to Ankara, Turkey, Hawk Bank. Hawk Bank. Hawk Bank? Yep. Is there an L in there? Okay. Hawk Is it bank. as cold there as Siberia? Nope. I've heard nothing <laughs> but great things. Good to know. Will you be getting up at 5 a.m. for the minarets? No. <laughs> <laughs> Will you be facing Mecca? No. No conversion for Reed Pretty. Okay. <laughs> but this discussion about the national team head coaching jobs, both of which are open, I want you to tell us on our Facebook page or via email, thenetlive at gmail.com or facebook.com slash thenetlive. Get on there and tell us who you think should have the men's job and who you think should have the women's job and why, not just a name. Give us the why or why not if you have some guys who are out there. Get into a discussion because I have some great thoughts on this. I had a great discussion 
with a, a prominent volleyball coach over the last day or so about this. I've talked to a lot of people around the sport about this uh, interesting opportunity for both the men and women head coaching positions. We're going to talk about it next week on this program. We'll see about what time we schedule next week, Jeremy, because it's kind of up in the air. Cool. But there will be a show next week. So I hope you're getting it via podcast. Remember, it's the Blog Talk Radio feed now that is active. So search the Net Live or search Volleyball. And in podcast, you will find the Net Live Blog Talk Radio feed that is active. You can download the show at any time. Thanks to Chris Geeter McGee for checking in. Thanks to the Spire Institute. Big thanks to ABCA. We will have the College of Volleyball Weekly coming back with that season getting underway. Thanks to Brandon Rosenthal for calling in. Hurley, read pretty for sitting in. Yes, read you have one more thing before we You know go. what? I just got a direct message uh, on Twitter that makes me like I'm giddy now. SEAL Team 6. Like I'm a huge special ops fan now. I feel like I missed my calling. <laughs> I've been reading like book after book about these stories of these guys. I mean, they're the elite warriors. It's yeah. flipping awesome. But apparently they were watching – because I retweeted something about somebody who died in SEAL Team 6 this morning. It turned out to be a hoax. I feel embarrassed about it. I got sucked into the hoax. I just retweeted somebody yeah. who tweeted at me. turns out that everyone's fine and that they were watching the Olympics. And I got inv- invited yesterday. I went to Tee It Up for the Troops golf tournament yesterday. Cool. Check it out, Tee It Up for the Troops, uh, .org. Awesome cause. Met some awesome men and women uh, serving our country. And um, I tell you what. The way they train, uh, we can. I mean, there's so many ap- applications to a team sport, physically, mentally, coming together. Love it. And I was invited to uh, uh, a test site where they test out all their guns. Cool. Oh, so, can I go? Uh, yeah. Now, now, do you think they respect you a lot too because you're representing the United States as an athlete? I think there's a little bit of kinship there. Yeah. I think there could be. I feel silly if they did. Well, yeah. you know what I, I mean? I agree with that, yeah. Yeah. But um, but I think in, the, in wearing the flag, there's some, some commonality there. It, along those lines, as I'm reading these, I, w- I would love to see the national team level um, have that sort of uh, – I, I think it does have it, but I'd love to see more respect towards like wearing that uniform and what that means. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'd be cool to have a, maybe a bigger connection. Here we are real close to um, Camp Pendleton and, yep. and things like that. I think it'd be great to connect with uh, those groups and, and just really, uh, I mean, it's so inspiring what these people are are doing and the sacrifices that not only they, but their families are making. Of course. And it was cool to, uh, you know, the Wounded Warriors is also a part of the project we were part of yesterday. Um, so if you can get on any of those websites and, and donate, I think, at least 90% of, of what you do uh, goes straight to uh, um, those heroes. So check it out. Good stuff, Reed. Good stuff. And let's also a couple of notes before we get out here. Grand Prix Sports, a subsidiary of Los Angeles-based sports and entertainment company, Grand Prix Entertainment, has signed on with USA Volleyball. They're going to run all the indoor events through 2018. That should be an interesting partnership to see how that develops with USA Volleyball trying to capitalize on the recent success of the men's and women's indoor teams. And also remember the Paralympics getting started here soon. Be sure and cheer on Katie Holloway. You've heard her here on the program. Paralympic women going to be in action. So check them out. We've had uh, their coach on. We've had Bill on, Bill Hammeter. We've had Katie Holloway on. Had a great time getting to see Katie and meet her in person down in Dallas before the games began. So we wish them the best of luck, and we will follow their progress. We hope you continue to follow our progress here on the show, The Net Live. We'll see you again next week. 
You don't have to find the best college coaches. They find you at Spire Institute. Spire's postgraduate volleyball academy wants athletes. Spire delivers customized volleyball training and competition led by head coach John Hawks, athletic development with Michael Johnson performance, and educational options all in Olympic-grade facilities. There is no better way to impress college coaches and increase scholarship opportunities. Spire Institute, postgraduate men's and women's programs in multiple sports. It's not taking a year off. It's adding a year to your future. Sign up today at spireinstitute.org. (laughs) 